You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in to a Monday edition of Crunch Time here on the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. What's going on? Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Jalen Hurts is now the richest man in NFL history. We'll talk about that contract and how... I think it changes a lot of things for the NFL. We'll talk about the weekend, uh, recapping Cajuns, Tigers, Cowboys, everything in between. Plus, we're going to talk about the Houston Astros and what they need to do to get back on track. But before we get into any of that, he's back. James Mesh, how was the weekend in Grand Isle? One too bad. Oh yeah, one too bad. You were you were ripping lips, huh? Oh, we ripped a few lips for yeah. sure. You know, <laughs> on Thursday's show, we talked about your Snapchat video that you sent, but but of course we we couldn't repeat what what you said. Which one? I'm trying to remember what I said. I I can't say it. Okay, I can't. I cannot say it. Okay. Um, but no, you you were you were knee deep in water uh-huh. fishing. Was it? Oh, was it the uh, the alligator gar? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was that was a big old fish. That was that was a big old fish. I think it was about five. It was like five foot. So it, is that all y'all did? Did y'all just fish all weekend? So, I they. Act, Half of them got there Tuesday night, kind of went a little ahead schedule. I didn't get there till 11 or 12 with one of them. He rode with me Wednesday night after Wednesday shift here after Wednesday shows. Thursday, we kind of went to the snake pit, and that's where we saw the alligator gar and caught in water. Um, Then Thursday night, you can only have six on this charter to go spear fishing. I was the seventh. Ah, you were the odd man out. <laughs> so I was the odd man out, and they went spear fishing from like twelve a.m. to about four thirty. Or no, no, no. no. Oh, it was God. it was ten. It was ten to about four. Oh my God. Um, but then Friday we went on went out on the water on the boats, caught some speckled trout. They had caught redfish. Caught a few more that day. Uh, saw some sheephead, some black drums. Thursday, we had also caught a big drum, regular one. Thing was probably like probably about twenty pounds. Thing was heavy. <laughs> um, Saturday, it kind of got rained out, so we yeah. didn't really do much there. We just kind of played cards and played games. Not bad. Not a bad weekend. So, while you were gone, a lot of things happened. Yeah, yeah, a few a, things happened. A, a lot of things happened. 
Um, LSU run ruled a top fifteen team. Yeah, uh, that also had the highest RPI coming into the weekend. Um, the Cajuns almost got swept. Almost got swept. Uh, Saved it on on a Sunday. And then Cajun softball in a series where a lot of people thought Texas State would give the Cajuns the most trouble this season. And potentially in that streak of winning Sunbelt Series. Nah. No. Nah. The Cajuns swept them. <laughs> and Friday I sat here, and CD can attest to this, I said that the Cajuns would sweep them. I called it. And CD said that that was bold of me. I said, I don't know. I just got a feeling. It's a bold take, Cotton. And it paid off for me. See what it did there. Ha ha. Anyways, let's talk about the top story of today. And that is the fact that Jalen Hurts got really rich. Is now the highest paid player in NFL history. They've reached agreement on a five-year, $255 million extension, including $179.3 million guaranteed. In terms of average annual value, it is the biggest contract in NFL history. But in terms of guaranteed money, Deshaun Watson still holds that title with his $230 million fully guaranteed deal. But... Here's here's probably the part that's the most interesting. And this shows you the belief that the Eagles have in Jalen Hurts. For the first time in franchise history, they have given a player a no-trade clause. Jalen Hurts is the first Eagle to ever get a no-trade clause in his contract. So... The, the thing that stands out about this other than the numbers and the history behind it is what it's going to do to the market. Because you thought Deshaun Watson's deal would be something you never saw again. And in terms of, in terms of salary, that just blew Deshaun Watson's deal right out of the water. Guaranteed money again, you know, it's still it's still the highest paid guaranteed deal ever. But I think what this mar- what this contract extension does now is it forces teams that are in contract disputes with their quarterbacks to kind of make a move. It's especially Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Because the biggest hiccup with Lamar Jackson was that he wants a fully guaranteed deal. But I think what this Jalen Hurts deal shows him and the rest of the league, he doesn't need it to be fully guaranteed. No. You don't need it to be fully guaranteed. He's, he's going to be like, copy and paste what Jalen just got and sprinkle, up, in, up sprinkle my it guarantee. up. Yeah. Make my guarantee 190 or just 200 exact. And I'm in. And and if you if you want to sweeten the deal for him a little bit further to make him the highest paid player in history, make it 5 years 260 with 200 guaranteed. 
You can't tell me Baltimore can't pay him that. And with the 200 guaranteed, that's a, what, $40 million a year? It's the going rate for a quarterback. For a good one. And, and we can agree, Lamar Jackson, top five quarterback? Top ten quarterback? Top ten for sure. Yeah. Borderline top five? Yeah, you, you put him in that area. That that three to six range-ish, depending on who you talk to? Now, when we say the highest paid player, we're kind of talking about a deal negotiated by Nicole Lynn of Clutch Sports. Talking about Jalen Hurts' deal? Yes. Yeah. Because the highest is Pat Mahomes with that 10-year $450 million. In terms of annual salary, though, it's still the highest paid. It, Jalen Hurts is the highest paid in history. At $51 million a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because before that was... Deshaun. Or Aaron Rodgers. It was Aaron Rodgers because he was getting 50. Right. Yeah, no, in terms of in terms of annual salary, this is the large contract in NFL history. Um, but also, Patrick Mahomes got a 10-year deal instead of a 5-year deal. So that just gave them more reason to up that number. But, but, but again, going back to the point... Now I, I think Baltimore's running out of leverage in terms of Lamar Jackson. Because when you look at the NFL, there are a lot of teams that need a quarterback. And there are a lot of teams that have money to spend. So now Lamar can go to the Ravens and say, if you don't want to pay me, Somebody will. Somebody's going to pay him. And and, and if, if you think otherwise, then I don't know that you've seen Lamar Jackson play football. Somebody is going to pay what he wants. It might not be immediately. He might have to sign a one-year, $25 million deal to prove that he can stay healthy. And fork up those picks. Well, yeah. Somebody is going to get him if the Ravens do not. Lamar Jackson is not playing on a franchise tag. I fully believe that he would sit out. I do not think he plays on a franchise tag. And it was interesting because I was listening to clips of Brandon Marshall and you know those former NFL players that have that that uh that podcast show. Mm-hmm. He was talking about it, how he and Eric Decker, when they were on the Jets in 2015, they were sitting out because they wanted the Jets to invest more into Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm almost wondering, the Ravens, Does, cer- like certain key players in the receivers. Lamar's teammates start sitting out, yeah. Like Mark Andrews being like, I'm not going to training camp or whatever until you pay that man. Rashad Bateman. I mean, Rashad Bateman can't really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, contract or just sitting out altogether and just not going to the facility. Correct. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, you, you think Odell signed a deal with the Ravens just because? Just because he likes Baltimore? No, no. He signed with the Ravens because he was going to play with Lamar. Y- you got to pay that dude. You have to. And Lamar knows that, which is why he's not budging. Now, do I do I think that there should be some compromise? Absolutely. But the reason that Lamar is not moving from his number is because he knows what he's worth and he knows that somebody is going to pay him. 
Because look at it. How many teams in the NFL have their quarterback situation set? Kansas City, Cincinnati, Philly, Buffalo. Los Angeles. Los Angeles with Herbert, yeah. Who else? Like, long-term future, who has their quarterback situation figured out? For right now, you could say the Giants, since they just extended yeah, Daniel Jones. Yeah, you extended Jones. Daniel Jones. You just extended uh, Geno Smith for a little while. Geno got, got three years. Derek Carr in New Orleans. But other than that... I'm I'm hard pressed to to find a team that Jacksonville, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, yeah. So roughly forty percent to half the league, maybe a little less than that. That's it. Arizona with Kyler Murray, I guess. Oof, that's a terrible situation with that team. I, I guess. Buddha Baker requesting a trade. Arizona be like. Nah. Yeah. The same thing with same thing with Devin White with the Bucks. They're like, nah, no, we don't really want to. I, I just you're gonna Deshaun Watson with the Browns. The most important position in all of sports. You gotta have a good one. And you gotta pay for one. So if I'm Baltimore. It's time. It's time to pay him. Five years, 260. Give him 200 guaranteed. Or God, 195. I guarantee you he would take 195. Sweeten the deal without it breaking you. Find a number that both parties can agree to and have your quarterback future locked in. What do you think this does for... Joe Burrow's contract. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The owners of the Cincinnati Bengals are sitting there going, hmm. 20 years? What can... 15, where, 15 years? Well, no, what, what, they're, what they're doing is they're looking at the stock market. And they're going, what can I buy into right now that'll turn me a quick profit? Because... We need to come up with some extra money real fast. Oh God. You're you're gonna pay Burrow. You think you think two eighty. Do you think the Bengals would try and do something similar to what the Chiefs did with Mahomes and go for a ten year? Yeah. And then just say here's have a lower five, annual. Here's a five hundred million right now. Yeah. Ten for five. That way it exceeds Pat Mahomes. Ten for five with you know, 260 guaranteed? Yeah. They absolutely would do that. I mean, what has Joe Burrow shown you that he can't be the dude? As long as he stays healthy, which is out of his control, he's that guy. Right, because this is the final year of his contract, and then in 2024, they could do the fifth-year option. Yeah, the fifth-year option, which they'll 100% pick up. They will 100% enable that, that fifth-year deal unless they can get an extension done this year. Then and if that's the case, they won't have to worry about the fifth-year option. But uh, 
since since Joe Burrow is looking at that Jalen Hurts contract going, ooh, I'm about to make me some money. Oh, man. We're going to take a time out here on Crunch Time when we return. We're going to talk about the top-ranked LSU Tigers and their weekend in baseball winning a series over Kentucky, and they get ready to face the Raging Cajuns tomorrow night at Alex Box Stadium right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, score a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. That's right, $15, and you can get it for half the price. AcadianaDeals.com, score $15 to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 421 on your Monday, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. LSU hosted a 12th ranked team in Kentucky this past Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I know we talked about the Thursday game on Friday, but I've just I've got to reiterate it. The fact that LSU run-ruled a top 15 opponent is disturbing. Opposing teams should be very, very afraid. I mean, if you look at that offense, look at the batting order. Just look at the batting order. Dylan Cruz, Jordan Thompson, Tommy Wright, Tommy White, Trey Morgan, Jared Jones, Gavin Dugal once he comes back from injury, Cade Beloso, Brady Neal, you name it. This LSU team has firepower. Offensively, they are a juggernaut. Probably the best offensive team in the country. Where they're a little suspect is pitching. And that came to light on Friday when they lost 13-10. But then they bounced back in a big way on Saturday with a 7-6 win to take the series over Kentucky. They are now sitting with a record of 29-6 on the season. They're 9-5 in the SEC. They are 22 and 3 in the friendly environment that is Alex Box Stadium. And following the victory, head coach Jay Johnson gave his thoughts on the win and said this is one of the best wins he's had. That's the best win uh, since I've been here in two years. Um, number one RPI team in the country to win two out of three. Um, you know, we got so many things we can do better, and that's really, really exciting, but I wouldn't want to coach anybody else. Like, the care level of these guys, um, the competitiveness, um, how they're kind of staring up a lot of adversity in the face, um, and, you know, getting up and, and going is pretty awesome. And uh, kind of another step today, it's like, 
I had this laundry list of things we were going to talk about after the game, and it's like, hey, we don't have to lose, you know, to be able to go through that, and we will go through all of it. Um, just why don't like let's get super engaged, and not that they haven't been all weekend, but it was a big time win. I mean, hat tip to Kentucky, like that they've brought everything they had at us, and um, it's a big time, big time series win. Nobody in the country has uh, the four series wins that we do, or this team does right now, and. Uh, doing that in, in spite of some of the obstacles, uh, just to credit. Now, one big piece of conversation out of this series was the fact that, I want to say after Friday's game, no, it was after Saturday's game, the two teams did not shake hands. It's, it's customary that after the third game of the series, teams line up, shake hands, and, and you know go on their, their separate ways. But LSU and Kentucky did not. And so Jay Johnson was asked if, if there were any hard feelings between the two teams. He is okay. one of my best friends in the, in the world. So there is no animosity or bad blood or, you know, any at least between us or staffs. I know highly competitive series. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sleeping tonight if we, we come out on the wrong side of that today. Like, mm-hmm. It's just the way that it is. And so, um, you know, our guys battled their tail off. Their team competed really, really hard. And, um, you know, it's okay. We're, we're going to play again, whether it's in Hoover or in the NCAA tournament, in Super Regional or Omaha. That's the certainty, as I see it, because they're doing a lot of things really well. So if we take a look at the statistics, Dylan Cruz hitting 500 on the season. With 12 doubles, 9 homers, 37 RBIs, a slugging percentage of 842, an on-base percentage of 648, and then, you know, Tommy White, the SEC Player of the Week. 366, an OPS of 1.210. He's got 14 doubles, 12 homers, and he leads the nation with 62 RBIs so far on the season. And after... The win on Saturday, Jay Johnson put it very simply: Tillon Cruz and Tommy White are amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and hey, like it's great having both those guys. I mean, that's that's special um, to have that. Um, I'm trying to think of like some kind of combination that would equal it, and and you can't because one guy's hitting 500 and the other guy has like 9,000 RBIs. And um, if you you know pitch to Dylan he's gonna hit if you pitch around Dylan Tommy's gonna hit and um, just an awesome dynamic for our James tomorrow night LSU and Louisiana are gonna meet at Alex Box Stadium they play each other every year they alternate where it's at between Russo Park and Alex Box but this LSU team and this is no knock on on the Cajuns please let me be very clear on that. UL's 25 and, t- 25 and 12, they're a damn good baseball team. Let me be clear. But this LSU team has to be the favorite in this matchup. Well, of course. I mean, they're the number one team for a reason. Their offense is super explosive, and I know they've got injuries with Devin, Gavin Duga, and they have a few injuries for pitching, so... This being a middle of the week, I think this is an opportunity for the Cajuns 
to have it be closer than maybe people think. I'm not saying the Cages are going to win this game at all, but I'm saying I think with a lot of people think this this game will be like five plus win five plus run difference. I think it'll be closer. Oh, it'll be much closer. It always is. Um, but you know, in talking about the Cajuns again, twenty five and twelve. They're ten and five in the Sun Belt. They're just and the the thing that that stands out is they're going through a little bit of a funk right now. Uh, they've lost three of their last four, uh, dating back to this past Tuesday. They dropped two to Troy over the weekend. But the thing is with baseball, you're going to go through stretches like that. If you don't think, if you have the mentality that every single season you're going to line up and win 50 games, you're wrong. That, that's just not going to happen. Even the best teams get in bunks. Like every, everyone has a slump at some point in the season. But, you know, the, the thing that stands out is the way that UL is always able to bounce back. They've done it time and time again this season. You drop two straight to Campbell. And technically three straight because you lost the midweek game to McNeese. You were on a three-game skid. You bounced back with a 14-7 win on Sunday and reeled off a three-game win streak after that. You lost to a high-point team on a Saturday. You won the next two games. Then you opened Sunbelt play with a sweep. You went on a five-game stretch there. You find ways to bounce back. And I think what that's going to do is that's going to create a great matchup tomorrow night. But the issue here is both teams are dealing with injuries. LSU's big injury is, of course, Gavin Duga. For the Cajuns, Kyle DeBar still isn't 100%. Jake Hammond's pretty beat up. Dylan Toit still hasn't returned. And now you've got Julian Brock, who is kind of going through a stomach bug type thing. He tried to play yesterday and just wasn't happening. Um, so, so his status is a little shaky for, uh, for for tomorrow night in Baton Rouge. But this is always a fun matchup. I wish UL and LSU played each other in more sports than than just baseball and softball. Because uh, because you rarely you rarely see men's basketball play each other. Uh, I, I know women's basketball has played each other a handful of times over the last several years. Uh, and then football, I mean, you haven't played each other since 2009. So it, it's good for the state. A, a good, clean rivalry is, is never a bad thing. Um, and, and there's just, I don't see many negatives as to why the two schools sh- shouldn't be playing each other, at least every couple of years. Not doesn't have to be a yearly thing. But at least once every three years, LSU and UL should be playing each other in every sport. Just my just my two cents on it. We'll take a time out here on Crush Time. When we return, we'll talk a little more about the Cajuns. You'll hear from Matt Deggs following their win yesterday. And then 
the Houston Astros, we'll start talking about the Astros a little bit. How do they get back on track, and just how much are they missing Jose Altuve? We'll do that next. Welcome back. 435 here inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Poll question of the day. We talked about LSU baseball in the last segment. Does LSU's lack of pitching depth eventually cost them a national championship? Yes, no, too early to tell. So far, 42.4% say that it's too early to tell. 40% say yes, and then the other 17.6% say no. I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I mean, you've only played 35 games. I, I know that sounds like a lot, but in, in college baseball, I mean, that's just barely over the halfway point. Um, so they still have a lot of time to figure some things out, get in some grooves. And, and honestly, I, I think the fact that LSU's conference schedule gets a little bit easier the rest of the way helps them a little bit because now that you have faced the toughest competition that you're going to face in the regular season now you can use these series against the bottom tier of the SEC to kind of figure some things out and to really iron out the, those issues to where you are at the top of your game firing on all cylinders come postseason play. So I think it's too early to tell. I think you got to give them a little more time to figure out, you know, who's work out the kinks a little bit, if you will. Um, I think they're going to be fine. I don't, I don't think there's any true issues to, to worry about there. Uh, but again, looking at the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns, they lost 9-6 on Friday, 6-2 in the first game yesterday, and then 2-1 to one in the... They won 2-1 to one in the third game, in the second game of that doubleheader. Uh, they dropped the series one game to two. And now you're going to shift gears like we talked about to LSU before they head to Harrisonburg, Virginia to play James Madison in a three-game set this weekend but after the win yesterday head coach Matt Deggs talked about how the team really needed that win I don't know uh, you know I think they've caught us great their timing is impeccable they've caught us great twice yeah you know and can't take anything away from them though because that's a good team yeah they, they pitched it extremely well and they've got a dangerous lineup and they're getting some guys healthy too, so but, it's a good league. But yeah, you it, it that can't. It, we needed that. We needed that. We needed that win, and uh, it, it shouldn't be that way. But sometimes baseball's tricky like that. And you know, you look at the game yesterday. The Cajuns were able to get six very strong innings out of Blake McGee. four hits, only one run. He walked two, struck out two before Cooper Rawls came in and pitched a final three innings of no-hit baseball. And uh, head coach Matt Deggs said that the pitching during game three was absolutely critical. Uh, him and McGeehee both. McGeehee's so fun to watch pitch. It, they're just painting. And, uh, you know, it's 87 and 92, both of them. And, and 
they're hitting spots and they're not giving you anything. And I know Blake six solid innings and he had you know a couple walks and a hit batter, but it was it was scattered. And uh, you know nothing to start an inning, nothing to end an inning. And so it was good to see us break that trend. And then Coop's just so reliable because you know he's going to challenge the strike zone. Uh, obviously don't like to walk in front of the kid that's got 20 jacks or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's you're going to have to face him anyway. So uh, I'm proud of the way he went through them right there. James Mesh, what are your thoughts on the NBA playoffs now that every series has played a game? Let's start with your Boston Celtics. It was a solid win. I uh, kind of wish they would have kind of maintained that lead a little more because they were up by 30 at halftime and they finished with a 12-point lead. Yeah. Not the best. I do know that Atlanta has a very productive offense, so I'm not completely surprised that they kind of made it a little bit more respectable. I'm not completely sold that the Celtics are going to just run away with it because, I mean, there's no team really right now, especially with these injuries. Giannis went down with an injury. Tyler Hero broke his hand. John Moran has a hand injury himself. And then someone else got injured. Uh, I'm blanking. I mean, Anthony Davis had that stinger. Anthony, Anthony Davis had that shoulder injury, and then he got that feel good, and then all of a sudden became magical. I don't know what they gave him, but if I'm ever injured, please give me that. Right. Because, <laughs> right. Jesus Christ, I mean, he was told. He, went, he, he said, went, I can't move my arm, and then came out at halftime. and was like, right, right. Yeah. What injury? They, they they got they they gave him some kind of magic potion, right. but I still think the Celtics win that series in five. Yeah, this will this will be a gentleman sweep. If not, I still could see this being a sweep itself because I Atlanta's just not very good. The Hawks are not very good. The big thing is what's going to happen in the second round. Who do you face? Giannis is he's prone to be back. I mean, he's going to be back after in game two or three, more likely than not. This isn't a super serious injury for him, so I still completely expect the Bucks to win. However, you don't you lose Tyler Hero as well, but I think this will still go a little deeper because Jimmy Butler is going to put the team on his back and take them as far as he can. Bucks are still going to win the series for sure, but yeah. I see this being in six or seven now because... If you miss Giannis for another game or two and the Heat go up 2-1 or 2-0 or something, then Milwaukee kind of has their back against the wall and are almost getting desperate. No, absolutely. I I, I think that that series just got a whole lot more interesting. Um, the other Eastern Conference, or one of the other Eastern Conference series, the, the Nets and Sixers, look, congrats to Brooklyn. They managed to make the playoffs without Kyrie and KD. They managed to keep the season afloat. But uh, I think it's over now. Philly is has has the process has the process finally come to fruition. James, are we now seeing the fruits of the labor when Philly pushed you for ten years? Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. Is this the process? <laughs> like, is this, is this what we're getting now? Because it's incredible basketball. The Sixers are good. 
Embiid is practically the MVP at this point. As he should be. Harden playing really good basketball. As you, as you should have expected because Dude took a pay cut before the season, so you should have kind of been like, yeah, he's probably going to ball out and we should expect big things out of the Sixers. Tyrese Maxey is freaky. And then Tobias Harris. I mean, God, if Tobias Harris is going to score you 21 points a game, God, you might as well give the Larry O'Brien to, to Philly now. I mean, look, three years ago, Tobias Harris was a dog. But he's kind of declined a little bit. But man, if he if you can get that that production out of him every second game, every third game, you gonna make a run, right? And then with the Nets, I mean, you got Cam Thomas, LSU product. He's I put mean, up he, he's put up some nice games, but we've I've heard from the coaches during the press conference, and they're like, "Cat Cat played four minutes." Yeah, like when he gets when he gets on the court, like he'll shoot. But obviously, the coaches don't trust him to play like actual basketball. It kind of just feels like a pickup game where there's one guy that just refuses to pass the ball and is like, "No, I'm going to take over." I swear, I'm Russell Westbrook. Their their starting lineup on Saturday was Dorian Finney-Smith, Cameron Johnson, Miles mm-hmm. Bridges. So you know, solid. Nick Claxton and Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikael Bridges, not Miles. I'm sorry. So you had one of the Bridges, who's a good player. He scored 30. And then four average to slightly above average NBA players. It's a lineup that is going to get swept. Yeah. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. Like, the, like I mean, Bridges is all right. I like Nick Claxton at center. I mean, he's kind of underrated a little bit in my eyes. But overall, this whole team is... They're going to get clapped up and they're they're gone. I mean, so like I like like I said when we first opened the conversation, congrats on blowing up your team and still managing to make the playoffs, but now it's over. Like you're you're done now. Um, I think you should start booking your trip for Cancun. The Knicks and Cavs. It's going to be an incredible series. Oh yeah, I was surprised with how many road games were won. Uh, Kings and Warriors, you knew that series was going to be great. Oh, yeah, so, that's going to be a dogfight. De'Aaron Fox, dude, that guy, he is fantastic. Um, Nuggets-Timberwolves went just like I expected it to. Timberwolves kind of in the same situation the Nuggets are in. Look, you fought your way into the playoffs, congratulations, but you're playing the number one team. So if you can win one... Bravo. Um, Clippers and Suns going to be a great series. Again, just like we thought it would be. Welcome back, Kawhi. Yeah, right? 38 points. That was impressive. Um, you saw Westbrook got really upset with a Suns fan? Westbrook gets upset with, with every fan. Of course. But it was funny because at the end of the video, you're like, wait, but what no, kind of sweet? see it. What kind of sweet is all the way at the bottom? Dude had his own private room with a kid just playing something on the phone next to the chair and Westbrook's chomping at him, kind of cursing him out with the kid right next to him. And then you see him walk out and you're like, wait, what? I thought this would have been a suite, you know, like above everybody else. But it was all the way on the bottom at the at ground floor. It was weird. Well, that's like the end zone suites in the Superdome. Right. And you're like... You're, cool, you're so used. You're so used to peop- that concept of it's above like most of the fans right. and like 
you still like have I, to travel up, but no, you're on the I'm, floor. I'm better than you. I'm taller than you. But I paid extra for these right, right. But like, so don't get me wrong. The end zone suite, really cool concept. You're right there on the action. I'd but buy it. It's still weird. I oh, I totally buy it. I would buy that. Totally buy it. Because it's like if there's an overthrow, or if the ball skips, if it didn't cost, I have an opportunity to catch in my hand. If it didn't cost my entire salary, I'd buy it. Right, certainly. Absolutely. I was making six figures, no worries. <laughs> Tax write off. I'm going every day. Tax write off. Going every game. I'm 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 creating a random LLC and writing it on a business write off. There you go. I mean that's easy. Um. Yeah, it's just the NBA playoffs have been a whole lot of fun. Um, and obviously we'll we'll talk about the Houston Astros in hour number two. Brett Chancey's going to join us. Um, we'll also talk to Wilson Alexander. The LSU spring game is already here. They're going to play their spring game on Saturday in Tiger Stadium. We will talk to him about the final week of spring practice. We'll get his thoughts on gymnastics, making it to the Nationals and much more. But we'll go ahead and take a timeout here, 448 on your Monday. When we return, we'll wrap up our number one talking USFL and XFL right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. James, I have a question for you. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Yeah, I could use a new one. Well, you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. If you sign up today in the clubhouse, you can win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here in the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. XFL's been going on for a little while looking at some of the scores. The Seattle Sea Dragons beat the Battlehawks 30-12 over the weekend with the Renegades losing to the DC Defenders in overtime 28-26. All the Brahmas beat the Guardians 25-23, and then the Roughnecks beat the Vipers 28-21. But also over the weekend, the USFL started Matt, and the New Orleans Breakers they ended yeah. up having a they ended up having a come from behind win, 22-15. McLeod Bethel Thompson, what a name! Have you seen his beard? Oh yeah, his beard's gnarly. Oh yeah, that thing's insane. Good quarterback, too. Oh, yeah. Even at 34 years old, kind of starting the league. He leads the league right now in passing yards. And it was funny because he started the game, a couple of completions. He went like two for two, two for three. But then he really went on a cold streak. And that offensive line gave up four sacks in the first half. And he ended up being like three for 11 midway through the second. But they battled through it. The defense stood strong. The special teams gave up a punt return for a touchdown, so the 
Pittsburgh Maulers, they end up tying it at 15 all with a couple minutes left. But then Thompson and the Breakers offense were able to drive down the field and score with just one minute to go. And the offensive line overall, I was not very impressed because the rushing numbers weren't good. The sack numbers that they gave up were really high. Overall, I think it was I think this is a solid team. After one week, there's still a lot to look at it. But I think with the Breakers, it was a really good win overall. And being able to get that first win, especially with the coach. The coach overall, it was his first time head coaching any NFL team. And then he had talked about next time he coaches, he's going to make sure that he is able to run onto the field. Because had you heard that story? No. What? I remember... Uh, there was a story with him. I, I believe he had, I don't think it was cancer. I'd have to look it back up. But he had talked about previously that any time, the next time that he is going to coach for a football team, he wanted to make sure that he was able to run because he almost had lost his ability to uh, run and walk altogether. Hmm. So, that, so there was extra motivation. I feel like the, the team overall yeah. had a little bit more juice in them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, then you look over at the XFL and, you know, again, they've been they've been playing for a couple of weeks now. You had the the Roughnecks beat the Vipers. You had the Guardians beat the Brahmas. The Defenders took down the Renegades and then the Sea Dragons beat your poor St. Louis Battlehawks. You look at the standings now in, in the XFL. Overall, the the DC Defenders have had such a strong year. They're eight and one. The Battlehawks are six and three. The Dragons are six and three, and then the Vipers are at two and seven. That's in the XFL North. And then in the South, the Roughnecks are six and three. The Renegades are four and five. The Brahmas are three and six, and then the poor, poor, poor Orlando Guardians, one and eight. That is, that's not very good, James. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but a, a one and eight record—it's not good. No, but I'll give you a classic Raymond Parsh the third. That's not optimal. It's not optimal. It is very, very suboptimal. Um, no, but the defenders—they've been playing really well. They really have. Uh, from the, from, the, from the jump. Oh yeah, they've been absolutely killing it. The Battlehawks—they've been kind of up and down. Still overall six and three record. It's pretty solid. Up there in the league, I mean, they're with the Sea Dragons. Ben DiNucci. He's been absolutely killing it in ben the XFL. Ben DiNucci. Ben DiNucci. Sunbelt product, technically. <laughs> On a technicality they weren't standpoint. A, they, they weren't a Sunbelt school when he played there, but they're a Sunbelt school now. So you, you can claim him halfway, sort of, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We're going to kick it off. With Tiger Talk, Wilson Alexander is going to join us. We'll talk LSU spring game. We'll also get his thoughts on baseball and gymnastics. And then at 5.30, Brett Chancey is going to join us. We'll talk the Houston Astros. They suffered a really bad loss last night. And quick turnaround tonight as they're going to play the Toronto Blue Jays at 7.10. We'll get his thoughts on that game and much more in our number two of the Crunch time on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. 
You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tower number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In our number one, we talked about Jalen Hurts being the highest paid player in NFL history. We talked about the Raging Cajuns baseball team as well as the LSU baseball team. Here in our number two, let's kick it off talking LSU spring football as they prepare for the spring game this Saturday. It's time for Tiger Talk. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back. Taking a look. is Holcomb. And it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander, happy Monday to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all this afternoon? Oh, doing fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So, you know, final week of spring football, kind of the last opportunity for for guys to really stand out and and make an impact. What have you seen slash heard from from practice over the last couple weeks? Well, gosh, uh, quite a a bit. I, I would start maybe with, um, some recent developments, uh, probably about the vertical passing game. I don't know if we've talked really much about that, just sort of how they're going about trying to improve it, um, because obviously that was sort of the area offensively where LSU saw that it needed to make clear growth, and everybody could see that it needed to make clear growth coming out of last season. And I thought it was interesting the way that Mike Jimbrock is kind of going about doing that. He says, and Brian Kelly feels the same way about this, that in order to throw downfield, like anything else, whether it's running zones, Schemes or um, you know screen passes or what have you, that you got to have the confidence to do it, and that LSU um, didn't really maybe Mike Dimbrock's words were that he maybe didn't script it enough in practice last year, and so they didn't really have that confidence as much to, to do it, and so um, he's trying to script it more. We've heard uh, players this weekend, uh, Chris Hilton, say that there's more shot plays being called, and so you know they're clearly trying to develop the downfield passing game. They ran a lot of 10- to 15-yard routes. Expect to see ones that are a little bit deeper downfield and more catch-and-run balls, even if they're about 10- to 15-yard routes, routes that have the receivers pointed upfield a little bit better so that they can maybe turn that 15-yard gain into something that's 20 to 25 or even more. So I think that's probably the thing that's been most uh, um, standout over the last week or so. Now, the the question mark on Jaden Daniels last season more times than not, seemed to be his ability to consistently throw the ball vertically down the field. Does the coaching staff believe that he's the guy to do that this year? Yeah, they think that he's taken quite a bit of you know positive strides here in the spring. Now, none of us have actually gotten to see that with our own eyes um, because of the way practices have been uh, opened or lack thereof um, this year. Um, But they do feel that way that he is made those made making strides and continuing to do so. You know he's got a whole off season to continue to do that as well and in preseason camp too. But um, they think that what they're doing offensively right now is going to help him continue to make that growth. You know he's gotten bigger. He's uh, um, 
and he's working on that too, you know, and he's working on those progression reads and, and just little things that, um, you know, he really didn't have time to do too much of before the season last year because of transferring in two weeks before the start of the spring and then, you know, just sort of learning everything. And, you know, the second year they talk a lot about having time to work on finer details of the offense and around Jaden, and that seems to be what they're trying to do right now. You know, looking at the tight end group, Last season, Mason Taylor had a very strong freshman season. You, you know, you, you tend to believe that, that he's going to be the guy in that tight end spot for LSU this year. But right behind him, you know, you've had a couple of freshmen come in and Mac Markway and Jackson McGowan, who really had high expectations for their career and their development in Baton Rouge. But the coaching staff has been surprised with just how quickly they, they've come along. Yeah, to, certainly to a degree, um, in that they were going to be able to contribute earlier than the coaching staff maybe anticipated. Brian Kelly saying recently that these two freshman tight ends were, quote, more than we expected. And, and it means this, though. They're not going to probably have the same impact that Mason Taylor had as a freshman. Um, but Mac Markway is physically, he is muscular, he's built, he's able to, and because of that, able to contribute as a run blocker really early on. And you'll probably see him in two tight end sets, especially if LSU doesn't end up adding a veteran transfer tight end uh, to help sort of bridge the gap between Mason Taylor and these freshmen uh, like it would want to here during the second sort of transfer window. Um, If that doesn't happen, then Mac Markway in particular would be a run blocker early on. And then Jackson McGohan and Camorian Pimpton, who comes in in the spring, uh, excuse me, in the summer, They'll both be, you know, involved in the pass uh, as pass catchers to some degree. You know, McGohan needs another year in the strength program to really get to a point where he can be more of a well-rounded, complete tight end. And, but Pimpton has got some, you know, rare athleticism, physical traits that are hard to find, and so that's kind of where those freshman tight ends stand right now. Chat with Wilson Alexander here on Crunch Time for Tiger Talk. You know, we. Each time that we've kind of talked about spring football, Wilson, the name Javian Toviano gets brought up just because he has just been so impressive so far this spring. I, I know that it's it's more, the more he stands out, the more his impact in 2023 rises. But right now, just how much of an impact do, do you think Toviano can make in this defense in his freshman year? He certainly can make an impact. How much of one kind of remains to be seen. But the thing that makes Javian stand out right now during spring practice is that physically he looks ready to play, but it's also his versatility. And because of that, you know, I think amongst the freshman defensive backs, he's the one who's most likely to play early because he can get plugged in a few different spots. He can play outside corner. He can play nickel. He can play safety. We've already seen this spring that LSU does not have a lot of depth at safety. That could end up changing if they add a transfer, but if they don't, um, they're only going to be adding um, freshman Caleb Jackson in the summer, and so it's not going to really be that much different in terms of depth. Now, they've got some guys you know, older than Javian, but he's, uh, you know, we've sort of seen this spring when now that Major Burns is, is now out for the rest of the spring and uh, Greg Brooks, you know, they were hoping to get him back onto the field on Saturday. We didn't get to see practice that day, so I'm not sure if, if he actually ended up getting out there. Um, but Oviano, because they had those injuries of safety, was able to was repping with the ones as a nickel when they moved Sage Ryan back to safety. And so, 
you know, he's going to have a chance to get on the field really early because of that versatility in particular. It gives him more opportunities to get on the field, but he also looks physically capable of contributing pretty early, even if it was just at one spot. You know, you brought up the the, the different positions that Toviano can play. There's a lot of question marks around the secondary because of the, the amount of guys that you lost with Makai Garner and, and Jay Ward and Jarg Bernard Converse all departing. And now it's really wide open as to who's going to play in the secondary. You have a Southeastern transfer in Zai Alexander, who was a two-time FCS All-American. And then you have Deuce Chestnut, the the Syracuse transfer. But, I mean, coaches are talking about the competition going all the way into preseason camp. They are. And that's every time that I've talked to coaches about this uh, or anybody around the staff, you know, just um, throughout the spring – uh, it, that's been the sort of the thing that everybody says is that this is going to go into preseason camp and that um, kind of right now the thing is defensively is Matt House is still sort of learning what he's got in these corners, so is Robert Steeples. And the word that's been used to kind of describe all of them is athletic but also somewhat raw. Um, you know, Denver Harris is, is that way. You know, everybody he's extremely talented, but he doesn't have a ton of experience yet at the college level. And Zy Alexander doesn't have any experience at this level of college football. And especially with Deuce Chestnut, the Syracuse transfer, who's the most experienced of the bunch coming over, um, it's going to take really into preseason camp. J.K. Johnson from Ohio State, the transfer over there, he's been banged up a little bit at this spring. So they haven't been able – he's been out there most of the time, but he missed a few practices too. And so, you know, it's going to take a while for this group to shake out. There's some potential there. Um, you know, they, they like what they have in the secondary, a lot of pieces, but – um, there's just gonna they need more time to really sort through that group, but we are going to be able to get a good look at them for all of ourselves, you know, fans and everybody uh, during the spring game on Saturday. Now, looking at the spring game, one o'clock on Saturday inside Tiger Stadium, for people that are attending, what what could what could fans expect out of the spring game? It's going to be a little bit different than last year where they tried to actually have more of a game last year like you typically see in a spring game. It's not quite going to be that now they, because they don't have the depth on the offensive line in there right now to really be able to just split up into two teams and do it that way. It's going to be more offense just versus defense um, and have all the offensive players together, all the defensive players together, instead of just having them split on the two separate teams and, you know, sort of mixed all together like that. And so there'll be some situational stuff, maybe some one-on-one, some red zone uh, work that, you know, people will see, and they'll kind of have a point system set up with all of that um, to see if the offense or the defense wins the day. Um, but that's how it's going to be set up. Not your quite this maybe spring game format people are used to seeing. Um, it'll be a little bit mix and match just because of the depth there on the offensive line. Um, and that's kind of how it's going to go uh, this weekend. Before I let you run, Wilson, LSU gymnastics making it to the final four and, and then baseball taking two out of three against Kentucky. Uh, just what are your thoughts on the weekend for both of those programs? Well, for the gymnastics team to get to the final four of the, for gymnastics, I mean, that's really impressive considering the injuries that this team has gone through this year. Obviously, if you get that far, you want to try to win it, of course, but I think that they have a lot to be proud of with what they did this year and what they went through as a team, just with the number of injuries that they sustained. To be able to get to that point is really an impressive achievement. And then for baseball, to get two out of three, it wasn't the best-looking series win that they've ever had and obviously had a chance to sweep there with you know, a lead in game two, 
um, and not being able to do that is tough. But still, to win the series is what you want, and, and ultimately there there's no pictures on the uh, the final score per se. Um, so LSU, you know, that, that's a good spot to, to to come out of the weekend. You know, not losing a series at home or anything like that. Um, but there's clearly some areas where this team needs to continue to prove and, and get better. Um, you know, they're a little bit bitten injury wise right now. Um, but either way, they've they've got to continue to get better. But they're at least coming out of a, a series win and able to do that instead of trying to you know get over a, a series loss at home. LSU baseball will host the Louisiana Raging Cajuns tomorrow night at Alex Box Stadium. Wilson Alexander joining us for Tiger Talk each and every Monday right here on the game. Wilson, appreciate your time as always, and uh, next Monday we'll recap a spring football game. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Matt. And there he goes, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Looking at some top stories, Houston Texans general manager Nick Casero has denied rumors that he would be leaving the team after the 2023 NFL Draft. Casero spent 20 seasons in the Patriots' front office, and there were rumors that he could be returning to New England, after, but he was going to let the draft play out before that took place. Um, but he has very much so denied those rumors earlier today in a press conference Direct quote here, quite frankly, I'm almost embarrassed that I have to. I feel sort of like Leonardo DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not leaving. There's never really been any substantive discussions of sorts. So there you have it. The Texans aren't losing their GM. Or is he really good at developing a smokescreen? We'll find out, won't we? But, you know, wouldn't it be incredibly odd to see a GM conduct a draft with the number two overall pick? And then after the draft, just be like, okay, you guys got this. I'm going to head out. Like, now, you've seen GMs get fired after a draft. But voluntarily leave for another position? Mm, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, there's a first time for everything, I guess. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll talk a little more about the NBA playoffs, plus recap LSU and Cajun's softball right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your free tickets. Text Rodeo to 337-283-8100. That's Rodeo to 337-283-8100 for the Angola Prison Rodeo this weekend. And you can see all the excitement from bull riding, wild horse racing, and even convict poker. It's the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo, and you can win tickets courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time. 5.20 on the clock right now as we're in the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day if you haven't already on Facebook and Twitter. Do want to go back a little bit really quickly to what we were talking about at the end of hour number one, talking about the USFL New Orleans Breakers, talking about Coach Don John DeLafippo. He was diagnosed with a spinal condition that has affected his foot, and doctors have told him that he may never walk again, but he did make a promise saying that he would run onto the field for his first game that he coached back, which was yesterday with the breakers and he came through that promise running onto the field so that was the story that i was alluding to earlier in hour number one great stuff i mean you you, you gotta love the those stories in in sports of people overcoming chronic conditions like right that. like eric berry with cancer yeah. john mechie's currently dealing with yeah. it but he should be back soon so it'll be exciting to see him get back on the field yeah no absolutely uh switching gears to softball now the lsu tigers had a little bit of a rough week. They played four games on the week against number one Oklahoma, and then they had a three-game set over in Auburn against the Tigers. Uh, they fell to Oklahoma three to zero earlier in the week, and then dropped two of three in Auburn, five three. They won Saturday three to two, and then they lost one nothing yesterday in nine innings. Uh, tomorrow they will be on the road in Lake Charles to play McNeese before returning home to host Mississippi State Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On the season, they sit with a record of 34-10. and 10. They are 7-8 and eight in the SEC. Meanwhile, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, 33-12 on the season, 14-1 in the Sun Belt. They extended their Sun Belt Series winning streak to 79 consecutive series. James, it has been 10 years since the Raging Cajuns have lost a Sunbelt Conference Series. Uh, Let's let that sink in. I was in high school the last time the Louisiana Raging Cajuns softball team lost a series. That is absolutely insane to think about. 78 consecutive Sunbelt Series. Now they will shift gears a little bit this week. After taking down Texas State in a three-game set, they will head, they will host, excuse me, Southeastern Louisiana tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at Lampson Park before heading to Troy, Alabama to face off against Troy Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, and then Sunday at noon. Looking at Lake Chuck, let's start with McNeese baseball, 24-12 and 12 on the season. They are 6-6 six and six in the Southland Conference. They had a three-game series with Southeastern over the weekend over in Hammond, and McNeese... Took two out of three, winning seven to six on Friday. They dropped the Saturday game eight to seven, and then they won three to two yesterday. All three games being settled by one run. I don't know if baseball could get much more competitive than that. Um, You know, you look at the statistics for McNeese, they currently have the highest win total from a pitcher 
in Division One baseball. Grant Rogers is eight and zero so far on the season. In nine appearances, he has two complete games. He's pitched sixty four and a third innings. He's only given up forty hits, and of those forty hits, only fifteen runs have come in to score. He's walked seven and struck out sixty two so far on the season. And batters are hitting just one eighty three against him with a one point nine six. ERA. Looking at McNeese softball, we mentioned they'll be hosting LSU later this week. Tomorrow night, actually, 32-12 and 12 on the season, 14-1 and one in the Southland Conference. They played Nichols at home over the weekend, and they got the sweep 6-0, 8-0, and then 5-4. They are now on a six-game winning streak, and they will host the Tigers tomorrow at 6 o'clock. They will host UT Arlington Wednesday at 6 o'clock before they head to Hammond next Tuesday and Wednesday for a three-game set with the Lady Lions. Talking a little bit more about the NBA playoffs, James, I heard somebody say this morning, and I kind of agree with it, this might be the most wide-open NBA playoffs ever. Because if you look at either conference, there's no team that you can pinpoint and say they're going to the finals. You don't know. Right, because you kind of felt it with the Bucks that they had a really good chance to make it back. But now with that Giannis injury, you wonder... Will that hinder them in any way? Celtics kind of took a dip in the second half of the regular season. The Nuggets, they looked really good throughout, kind of petered out a little bit, just like the Celtics toward the back half of the year. They didn't feel like they were as impressive. Warriors are kind of on the rise, but they're so streaky. The Suns, you finally get KD back, and you finally have him play, but you don't know how that chemistry is going to work. Correct. Like, there's so many questions. The Kings pop out of nowhere, but do we really think they'll go from kind of like that worst to first type of thing? I I can't see them being that team that hasn't made the playoffs in a while and then all of a sudden go to the finals or even win it. They just don't, it doesn't feel like they have enough talent to do that. And then you just got other teams like the Lakers are on a surge, but do we, do we necessarily know that they have the capability to make it all the way and win the NBA finals? And and you see that's the thing you just don't know they could, they could, but, but a lot you, of it a lot of it rides on Anthony Davis's health. But if you look back, for as long as I can remember, just about every year, there's been at least one team on either side where you've said, I would be utterly shocked if they don't go to the finals. You had that stretch where it was the Cavs and Lakers every, I mean Cavs and Warriors every single season, and then you had that run where LeBron was in Miami with D Wade and Chris Bosh, and they were in the finals every year. And it was that duel with the Spurs. And then before that, you you nearly locked in the Spurs every single year. And then when Kobe was around, the Lakers were always in it. There was a period in the in the mid to mid to late two thousands where the Celtics were just about a lock. Yeah, the the late the late two thousands. Like for as long as I can remember, there's been at least one team where you're like, if they don't go to the finals, I would be mind blown. This year, not so much. I mean, that bubble season kind of threw everything off. Yeah, where you, you didn't know like what was going to happen, like who who really wanted to be there and who was kind of just 
there for the ride and was kind of ready to leave after the first week. Because most, most people just tend to forget that season because... Yeah, kind of throw that one away. Right. <laughs> it, it's kind of a, a technicality. But, you know, you, you look at the two top seeds and, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee and Denver are both fantastic teams. But I can't sit here and tell you they're going to the finals. I, I, I don't know. There's so much parity in the NBA this year in terms of the playoffs. I mean, my favorite to make it out of the East is Boston. And that that doesn't feel like a great pick. No. I picked Boston and Denver, but I don't feel great about those because none of them feel like a super convincing lock. God, in, in the West, it's anybody's guess. I mean, Memphis is fantastic. Sacramento's really good. The Lakers are, are surging, like you mentioned. I mean... And it, I wonder how those injuries will play a factor into each of these series. The Knicks! The New York Knicks could make it to the NBA Finals! What world are we living in? The Knicks are supposed to be bottom feeders. The Knicks are supposed to be terrible. You thought the Cavs, they have a really explosive offense. You got Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and all those guys. You thought... Maybe they could win a playoff series or two, and and, and, and I, don't, I don't know if they're going to make it out of the first round now. Right, like there's so many big questions so far. Now we're only one game in with with these series, so there's still a lot to play out. But after one, seeing so many games get won on the road, that's what really threw me off yesterday. Was Lakers won, Heat won. Yep, the Clippers look for real. Clippers with Kawhi. Kawhi has resurrected finally. That was the first game that the Suns had lost with Katie playing. Russell Westbrook actually looks somewhat competent again. See what happens? When, just don't play with LeBron uh, and get blamed we'll, for everything. We'll, we'll see how long that happens. But yeah, I mean, Russ looks like the the Russ that we we once knew, uh, which has been nice to see. I, it, it's anybody's guess, and that's what's going to make the NBA playoffs just so much fun. And, and, you know, I, I know we don't talk a ton of hockey here in, in South Louisiana, but the NHL playoffs do get underway tonight. You've got the Islanders and Hurricanes, the Panthers and Bruins, the Wild and the Stars. Let's go Dallas. <laughs> and then the Kings and the Oilers will kick off tonight, and then you'll have a fresh set of four games tomorrow. But, look, the Washington Capitals are out so transitioning to my local team mindset, and I'm going with the Dallas Stars uh, just because I've, I've got to cheer for somebody. I, I have to have some sort of rooting interest, and I have no reason to hate the Dallas Stars. They're in a completely different conference than the Caps. They would only meet each other in the Stanley Cup, so like, I, have, I have no reason to hate the Stars. So let's say, Let's say the Stars get eliminated. Are you going to move on to another team? No. No? No. Just after that? At that point, I just watch. At, yeah, at, at that point, I just sit back and watch. Um, but no, if, if for some reason the, the Caps don't make it, which it's been a very long time since that happened, so I kind of forgot what it felt like. Um, Humbling season. Right, right. Um, I, I just pick a second team, and then once that team's out, then you know I'm, I'm not going to be a bandwagon jumper and just constantly bounce around. Like I'm not going to do that. See, I don't. Um, I wouldn't. I don't like consider myself a f- fan for that playoffs. I just look at it and be like, 
I would rather them win right. out of everyone else. Right. Just like I, if I, you if you lose, darn, like it's probably because I like the player too. I typically pick one team from each conference that I like. So like in the NFL's perspective, obviously I'm a Saints fan. And then you like the Chiefs. And then the AFC, I like the Chiefs. And then I kind of, for some weird reason, like the Texans. I don't, I don't know. Where did that come from? I don't know. I thought you would have said the Bengals well, with Joe Burrow. Them too. And the no, there it is. And the Bills. Okay, and, oh, I'm a bandwagon <laughs> guy in the NFL. <laughs> Let's just there it leave is. it at that. We'll take a timeout. Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros joins us next. Can the Houston Astros figure it out? We'll do that next. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 538 here on your Monday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline, 337-706-0111. The Houston Astros off to a 7-9 start. They will host the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. Kevin Gosman, the former LSU Tiger, will pitch against Christian Javier. 7-10 first pitch pregame at 640. And, of course, you can catch it right here on the game. George Springer also returns to the juice box. Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros joins us on the game hotline. Brett, appreciate you taking the time on this Monday, man. How are you? Man, I'm doing good. You know, it would be nice that the game I went to last night, I didn't watch the Astros get trounced by the Rangers. But we'll let them win the World Series in April. We're worried about October. Look, you know, it, it, it's always bad to to get trounced 9-1, to one, like you mentioned. But it's just an extra level of sting when it's the Rangers. Oh, yeah, it is. Especially when you've got college roommates who still good friends but we don't really talk every day but you can bet you can bet your bottom dollar that every time they you know they they beat us i get a couple text messages from some old friends <laughs> now you look at the astros off to a seven and nine start they're currently fourth in the al west i i, I try not to get too upset about it this early in the year because there's still you know 140 games left to play but you you look at the start that they've gotten on, and you just kind of question just how much they're missing Jose Altuve right now. Yeah, you know it is it is pretty glaring right now with the inconsistency with the offense. You know, with one of the few, well, I guess Jordan Alvarez is always a bright spot. I mean, it's always a blessing to have him on your team. But Mauricio Dubon has really stepped up in a big way, doing things that I don't think anybody expected him to be doing. Uh, I think he struck out for the second time all season with the bases loaded, and he was notifi- he was noticeably upset about it. You know, your pitcher goes out there and deals seven innings, um, six and a half innings or whatever, and shut out ball, and your offense can't produce any runs. And what's funny about that game last night is eight of those nine runs were unearned. And so those are the games that you would like the offense to – second or third inning, put a couple crooked numbers up there, put the pressure on the other pitcher, and then, you know, work from there. And it just, it hasn't happened. Now, what's what's interesting is they scored quite a few runs from, from innings seven through nine, 
or even in the extra innings, but they've also been giving up a lot of runs. And so seven and nine this year is a little different from seven and nine last year because we have more issues, I think, not just with Altuve and Brantley out, but we also have things like, um, you know, Lance McCullers, when is he going to come back? Um, we don't, we're not getting out of our pitchers early on what we were getting out of them last year. So there's a lot more question marks. Again, no reason to panic, but this year is going to be harder than it was last year to get there. They still can get there, but it's, it's going to be a much tougher road. Let's just say that. Would you say that there's more issues on the offensive side or the defensive side for the Astros? Well, after this last series, you will kind of wonder, you know, four four errors in two games is not typical of this Astros team. You know, um, the second Jose Abreu makes an error, they're like, we want Yuli back. No, trust me, we love Yuli. He's a legend in Houston. Always, He'll always be an Astros legend, always part of Astros folklore. But it was time to move on from there. And there's a little bit of drop-off from Abreu's glove. But, yeah, you would like to see a better defensive um, output on a consistent basis. Now, I would say that Tucker, when he's – I mean, Tucker's always gold glove. Um, if Chaz is out in center, which he's still out with that concussion, and then you have in left field, you know, who's going to play out there? If it's Jordan, he's got a gun. We had Corey Jolks, who's done a pretty good job getting an outfield assist the other day. So the potential is there to be a great fielding team. They just got to quit making errors, and they need to work with the Brayu on scooping that ball because that is one thing I noticed that he has a very hard time with balls hopping to his glove. Now, you know, you brought up Chaz McCormick's injury. Obviously, he's missing some time with that concussion like you mentioned. But before he got hurt, I think one thing that he solidified is the fact that when he's healthy, he's going to be the center fielder for the Houston Astros. Yeah, he, for right now, is your center fielder, I think, going forward. And, Chaz, I mean, um, Jake Myers is still going to get playing time because he's on the roster. You don't, you don't pay a guy a big league salary to sit the bench um, in his role. You know, when the Astros say, well, it was always his job to have, and he just got injured, and Chaz was kind of a placeholder, Chaz, I think, is beyond that. And I, I think he deserves more respect than that. And the only other person I think would really challenge him is if Pedro Leon hits the cover off the ball. He's still striking out too much for my liking, 17 Ks, like 40 appearances. But he's he's got power. He's got the strongest arm in, in the minor league. So I think it's Chaz's for the foreseeable future. Maybe late in the season if something comes up, you bring up someone like a Pedro Leon. Um, or even Dearden can come up and maybe fill that role. But it should be Chaz. If he's not injured, he should be starting every time they hit the field. Chatting with Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros. Out of the new guys, and I'll include Jose Abreu in this, but really focusing on on the rookies with, with Yanier Diaz and Cesar Salazar, who, who's really stood out to you as a guy who could really flash in Houston? You know, it's tough because right now Yanner Diaz, where they say Salazar's on the roster because he's your true backup, and Yanner's more, you're like, he kind of filling in time and all that stuff. But when Diaz is in there, they are 5-2. and two. They are 5-2 and two, um, when he catches. So if they're winning ball club with him behind the plate, I just don't know why he's not getting more opportunities, okay? Um, 
Salazar is, I think, your true backup. He did get his first major league hit the other day. Um, but I really think they're hoping that Corey Lee um, continues to hit the ball well because I think they like Corey Lee's defense. I think Lee would get a spot of the actual backup before Salazar would. Salazar, I, I think they like having three catchers. But Diaz, to me, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results. Now, looking at the pitching side of things, Hunter Brown has been every bit as advertised thus far for, for the Astros. The only thing that I would say is I, I, I wish he struck out a little few, uh, a couple more people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do like the velocity um, on his pitches. I think you'll see his strikeout numbers go up as he figures things out. You know, last year he was a slow starter in the minors. Um, he had It took him a little bit longer to get his spin rate and the ball, like, really pounding the zone. But he's got this it factor about him when he's on the mound. I love when he shows emotion. When you talk to him, he's a leader. And um, I've mentioned this with RP3 before, but I remember when him and Diaz were selected to the Futures game, I was actually at a – Space Cowboys game, and I was I was talking to him just on the sidelines, and I said, congratulations on making it. And he immediately was like, well, I appreciate it. And this was before the World Series, and before he got called up, he was like, but what I want to do is I want to be on the mound at Minute Maid Park helping the Astros win a World Series. And he didn't even bat an eye. And so, to me, when a player has that kind of mentality, just in a casual conversation, you know big things are coming. And he's really been... I mean, Framber stepped it up. He he's starting to be he's starting to look like Framber. But Framber and Hunter right now are the anchors to your starting rotation. Where Garcia and Javier have been marginal, Urquidy's been pretty good too. So you need the other guys to step up like Hunter Brown has because he is. You're right. He's pitching really well. Honestly, if he gets five strikeouts or ten strikeouts. I just want to see solid seven-inning performances out of him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Looking at the the farm system, which the Astros have done a very good job uh, of developing over the last couple of years, you know, talk about some prospects that stand out to you. Obviously, Corey Lee, you brought up Pedro Leon a little bit earlier. I hear a lot of people talking about Justin Durden. Who, who else stands out to you? Well, you know, you can't forget about our guy Forrest Whitley, you know. Um, in his first two outings, eight, eight innings pits, 11 strikeouts, only one earned run and only two hits, and three walks. And then you have um, old Will Wagner. I like to call him Willie Wagner. You know, his, he's the son of should-be-soon Hall of Famer Billy Wagner. Um, last week by Astros Future was named their player of the week with a 421 batting average, two doubles, two home runs, and six RBI. You know, this this kid – is just doing good. Um, you have Clifford down there and, um, and um, you know, Fayetteville. And you, you've got kids that are, that are either in Corpus or in Sugarland that are, that are chomping at the bit. Like we mentioned, um, Pedro Leone. And let's play, Madras has been actually playing really well lately. But I would say keep an eye on Leone at AAA. Also, keep an eye on Matthew Barefoot. Matthew Barefoot is a, is a guy that tends to go under the radar, but he is he's a solid player. And then Will Wagner. Will Wagner, I mean, he had a 5-for-5 five five performance in that week where he got player of the week. 
just a solid performance. Um, and then you have you have your you have your uh, farm hands like um, um, Spencer Arigati. You got to keep your eye on him. Um, JP France will always kind of be up there. You just wonder if he can step it up to the next level. And I really like Misao Samarez. He's a relief pitcher for the um, – he's in, um, in AAA Sugarland right now. Misao is, is a really solid performer, can spin the ball, throws, throws with velocity. And so, I mean, literally you could talk for a long time because I haven't even scratched the surface with Drew Gilbert, Joey Luperfito, um, Ryan Clifford. I mean, these guys – they just got so much promise and so much potential. Our system may not be ranked in the top five, but y'all got to remember this. When they rank minor league systems, they're ranking the top money guys, the guys that get the big deals, the guys and their top prospects because they got the million-dollar deals. Those aren't our guys. Our guys are the workers or the workhorses or the grinders, the Joey Liprofitos, the guys that kind of come out of nowhere and – You'll see them impact in the club probably sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, obviously you brought up Drew Gilbert and, and, and what a talent that he's going to be for the Astros. And I'm really glad that you brought up Spencer Arigetti, uh former Louisiana Raging Cajun down there in, in Corpus Christi. Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros joining us here on Crunch Time. Brett, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, come back soon, my friend. Yeah, definitely, and um, I would just appreciate if everybody went to our um, our YouTube page and um, gave us a subscribe and check out. I'm going to put a little short video on tonight. The Astros just sent us some really cool giveaway stuff, so if you are listening on audience and you win one of the giveaways, we'll send you out some really cool. We got World Series rings, we got bobbleheads. The Astros hooked us up this year, so we're excited about that. Just make sure you you become an everydayer with Lockout Astros because we're your team every day. Brett, really appreciate you, man. Thank you. And there he goes, Brett Chancy of Locked On Astros. And while you subscribe to Locked On Astros, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well at The Game Louisiana. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up today's show, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, what you got planned for a Monday night? Uh, nothing. I don't have anything necessarily at the moment. Good for you. Thanks. That sounds very relaxing. Uh, might pull up some NBA playoffs, you know. Yeah, as as you should. As I should. I will be celebrating my grandmother. Oh, nice. It's her birthday today. Okay. So, happy birthday to my grandma. Gram, gram. If, if she's listening. Uh, apparently, sometimes she listens to me, even though she cares zero about sports. <laughs> um, hey, that's love. Right. That's right. love right there. So, happy birthday. We're going to eat at Fizo's. So... Little chef's kiss action right there. Definitely looking forward to that. Thanks to Wilson, Alexander, and Brett Chancy for joining us. Come back tomorrow. Jim Gazzola will be here talking McNeese. We'll also talk to Mark Etheridge of D1 Baseball, and we'll go to the moon. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on the game.